So please listen to what my guest has to share because it also ties into everything that I just told you. And my biggest message is, if you are feeling that way and you haven't reached out, it's time to reach out. So I would like to introduce my guest now. And I'm thrilled to be interviewing Mark Gober, an author whose worldview was turned upside down in late 2016 when he was exposed to world-changing science. After researching extensively, he wrote an end to upside-down thinking to introduce the general public to these cutting-edge ideas, all in an effort to encourage a much-needed global shift in scientific and existential thinking. Mark has long sought answers to life's challenging questions. As an undergraduate at Princeton University, he was drawn to astrophysics because he, was, he wanted to understand the universe. But because due to commitments as a member of Princeton's Divisional One tennis team, he decided that astrophysics would be too demanding. So instead of studying the invisible forces that govern the universe, he studied the invisible forces that secretly drive human behavior, getting a degree in psychology, focusing on behavioral economics. After college, he explored the universe through books for fun. But it wasn't until the summer of 2016 that he randomly stumbled across a series of podcasts that exposed him to some radical new ideas. Those ideas put into question the most basic assumptions about who and what we are as human beings. The more he researched, the more he realized that he needed to rethink everything that he thought he knew. When he began relating to friends his research, they told them it changed the way they looked at life. Their lives started to improve. After he'd heard that multiple times, he realized it was time to share his research with a broader audience through his book and podcast so he can help more people. When he isn't pursuing the world's biggest questions, Mark serves as a partner in Sherpa Technology Group, a firm that advises businesses on mergers and acquisitions and strategy. In recognition for Mark's singular work on understanding the nature of consciousness, Dr. Irvin Laszlo, a two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, recently named him as a director at the Laszlo Institute of Peridigum Research, where Mark serves as director of corporate relations. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about Mark and his end to upside down thinking and especially how it will tie into my introduction of where I am coming from right now. So hi Mark, it's great to have you. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm I'm sorry to hear you haven't been feeling well recently. Thank you. But um that's a part of my journey and I share in every one of my podcasts that I am on this journey, but I've come so far that I know how to take care of myself. So it's just a matter of time that I get back in sync with myself. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's a great attitude. Yes. So is there anything interesting going on in your life right now that you'd like to discuss? Well, my, my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, was officially published in early October. So I, I've been very busy uh, speaking about the book and also working with my, my day job at Sherpa. So I've just been a busy person recently. And with the holidays, it adds to it, right? But that brings the, the fun into it. Exactly. Yes. So I am working with the Wisdom of Avalon Oracle Cards by Colette Baron reed And it's set up sort of like a tarot deck, which I'm not familiar with, but I'm just going to go with what I see. So this card is protection. And it's got, it's funny because I know what it is, but it looks like a bunch of whales and sharks going through the water. And it's like they're fighting the stream and trying to go upstream. And then there's a path. Actually, in the path, there's an X. 
So it's like it's saying X marks the spot, and this is where you begin your path, and then it gets a little bit jagged, and then it gets smooth again. So is this how your life has been, um, a, a struggle at first, and when you stumbled on everything in 2016, it finally made sense? Yeah, I think that's actually a good way to summarize things. Okay. I had a pretty bleak outlook on life because of the way I thought um, – because of what I thought science pointed towards until I became exposed to new things, which opened up new avenues. Right, which makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, that, that's pretty much most of us light workers and the people that are helping others in the world, that we go through that little bit of a struggle because we need to let people know there is another side and there's the positive side. But I was also guided to grab another card for you, and it's the novice. This one has some words on it. So it says, innocence, beginner, ignorance, new skill without practice, unstable curiosity. So that, again, goes into what you were saying. But this card is so much detail in it. It's a very bright color, like a bright um, pastel green, and there's a tree that's on an angle, and then the branches and, and the trunks are in all different directions, and one of the trunks is like a hand holding out, ready to grab everything that it can, and that one goes right into the person standing here, which would be you, so you have your hand out, and you're always wanting to learn and constantly looking into new things. But then in the background, the branches from another tree are almost like a web-type base, and it's like you still have something that you're stuck with, but you're working on it, and I think that's going to be something to talk about in a new book. Have you given <laughs> thought to writing a new book? I'm asked that often. Right now I'm so busy with this one. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't have the I don't have specific inspiration for another book, but given that I've done one, I could see it happening in the future. I just don't know what okay. would, it would be about, though. Okay, so that's exactly what it is. It's 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 in the future, and this is in the background. This um, these branches, and it also looks like there's stones piled up, and it's like they're stepping stones. So it's your stepping stones getting from here to, I'm hearing a year and a half before you start working on the next book. And although you have one book, you, you feel a little bit scattered. I feel like there, there's still so much more that you need to learn and pull things together that this is just the beginning of your journey. Does that make sense? I could I could definitely see how that would be true. Okay. Very good. Um, if you send me an email, I'll send you a picture of these cards so that you can know what we're talking about. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So how would you like to begin? Would you like to give us a little bit of a background of where you came from and then get into the conversation? Sure. I can give a bit more detail on the, the overview that you gave. My day job is in the business world. I started my career in 2008 working in investment banking in Manhattan um, during the financial crisis. So I was there from 2008 to 2010. I stayed very busy during that period, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. After that, yeah, after that, I joined my current firm called Sherpa Technology Group where I'm, I'm currently based in Silicon Valley, but for a little while I was in Boston. We have two offices, and we advise technology companies on their innovations. So we help them uh, basically conduct transactions or strategic advisory work, and it usually relates to their intellectual property and their patents and their technology. So that's my day job. It was mm. about two years ago, though, that I first became exposed to the topics that I wrote about in my book, In End to Upside Down Thinking. And prior to that, I, I, I didn't have an interest in the topic of consciousness per se at all. That wasn't even on my radar. I had a very, I would say, conventional view of reality at that point and because that's what I thought science pointed towards, which is the notion that we are all 
conscious, anyone listening to this conversation right now has this subjective awareness, an inner experience that's not a physical thing, but it's there, and we call that consciousness. What I thought was the case, I think maybe just an assumption that I made, which because it's so prevalent in society, is that that consciousness I just described, and which we all experience, is just a product of chemicals in our brain. That implies then that when the brain ceases to function and when the chemicals stop working and when the body dies effectively, then the consciousness and any memories associated with it must be wiped out and that's it. So that leads to, I think, a pretty bleak outlook on life and meaning. So what I used to think about when I, when I would get into just kind of existential thinking, which would come up a lot of, well, who am I, who am I, what am I doing here, does life matter? These were questions I, would, I wouldn't necessarily verbalize, but I would always think about them. What I would always conclude is that, no, there's no meaning at all to life because once, once the body dies, it's over. So I, I can try to rationalize meaning during my life, but it doesn't really matter in the end because eventually the, the body has a finite period of time that, that it can function. So life doesn't actually have meaning, no matter what. And I think that is the implication of modern science, whether people discuss it in the way I just did or not. There is this prevailing assumption that, that our consciousness is a product of the brain and of the body. So that's, you know, that's, my, that's where I come from in terms of background. That's a very mainstream perspective today in, in 2018. So it was starting in, in August 2016 that I first began to ex be exposed to things that put that assumption into question, which I had never even thought to question. Actually, when I was at Princeton, I studied psychology. Uh, I focused on behavioral economics, but in my studies of psychology, the topic of consciousness and its origin and its source wasn't something that even came up. So I wasn't even, I was not asking these questions back then, even though I studied psychology. Um, so back in August 2016, I heard a podcast. I was listening to a show called Extreme Health Radio. I wasn't even trying to learn about consciousness or existence. It was just learning about alternative health. There was a woman that came on the show. Her name is Laura Powers. She talked about her psychic abilities, and she talked about how, as a child, she could see deceased individuals and kind of shut it out of her life, and then later in life it all came back and it shifted her things for her to the point where she now sees clients and is able to communicate with non-physical entities. She has psychic abilities. She sees energy. And those were things that I'd, I'd never heard about beyond science fiction. So I, I remember being interested in the conversation because this was a person that spoke for an hour and a half in a very serious way that this was like part of her life. That's what she did for clients. So I, I remember just being curious about that. At the end of that podcast, she talked about her, her own podcast, which is called Healing Powers, where she interviews other people that have had similar experiences and, and have these abilities too. So I, I remembered uh, that I was looking for podcasts to listen to because I, I live in San Francisco and our office is, is uh, down in the peninsula, so it can be a long drive if there's traffic, and I like to listen to podcasts. Mm. So I said, oh, wow, yeah. there's another, this is an interesting new area. Why don't I just turn this podcast on? Again, not thinking too much of it. And I listened to, I ended up over a three-week period getting really interested in what the guests were saying on her show to the point where it was maybe a few weeks in and I had listened to all the episodes back in 2011. I had finished the whole thing. And wow. I, I remembered getting to a point in that process where something kind of clicked. Wait a second. These people are all describing this picture of reality that has a, a lot of non-physical stuff things that we can't see with our eyes and it puts it makes reality seem like a, a much bigger thing than I had thought and that led me to then want to research pretty heavily because it implied if there was any truth to any of it it implied that I had to rethink things in a big way and rethink life and that's what really propelled me once I started to do research into the science behind this and I, I, I came across lots of credible work like from the U.S. government, from even Princeton had, had a lab for almost 30 years that studied these things, the University of Virginia's Division of Perceptual Studies at their medical school. So I found out there was a lot of credible research behind this that I had never learned about. I didn't learn about it in college. I never heard about it in the business world. 
And that was about a year's worth of research where I just, all I was doing if I wasn't working was I was reading or listening to interviews and eventually even talking to the scientists. And that's what led me to write the book, which I actually wrote, I wrote the initial draft of it very quickly. I wrote a chunk of it over 4th of July weekend in 2017 and then finished it the next few weekends. So it was, I had a draft of the book coming out of July 2017 with no plans before that of ever writing something. Wow. That's what happens to me sometimes when, when I need to write something. It's like I don't know what to write about. And then it comes down to the week before, and I sit down and say, okay, angels, help me write it. And I write it real fast. It's like it's all in our brains. It just has to come out. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like, especially since I had done so much research. It was just a matter of deciding that I wanted to to do this and put the information in one place so that a, a, a general audience could learn. So once I made that decision, mm. it came out quickly. So why would you hope that each reader would, would take to heart about your book? So the book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, is challenging the, this conventional thought that I mentioned before, which is that consciousness, something that we all experience, is a product of our brain and a product of, of matter physical stuff, that consciousness comes from the physical. That is what I challenge in the book and actually say it's the reverse. That consciousness is primary and the material world is an experience that occurs within consciousness. That has, that has big implications for human potential, for interconnectedness, for life after death. So my hope for readers is to, I guess, number one, acknowledge and, and learn about the fact that science, even in mainstream circles, has a big, big question about consciousness. It's actually in Science Magazine, it's the number two question that remains in all of science. How is it that a, a brain that's physical, like you can touch your head, you can touch your body, your body is touchable, it's physical, mm. your consciousness is not. Right. It, how does that happen? It's the it's the number two question in all of science. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing. It really is because it's such a basic thing that we all experience. And here we are focusing on sending people into outer space and genetically modifying biology. We can do all that. They're amazing accomplishments. And yet this this fundamental thing that we experience the physical world subjectively, we don't know how that subjectivity arises. Incredible. Yes, you know, and like you said, you never gave thought to it. I never gave thought to it. I mean, I too am a psychic, and I, I, I know things, and I can channel things, which I want to channel something in a minute. Um, and it's like, I don't know how I know these things. It just happens. <laughs> and, and sometimes I question. It's like, what's going on? Why can I do it and somebody else can't? But anybody yeah. can if you if you open up your mind to it. But um, before we get back into the conversation with you, I've been looking at the second card that I pulled for you, the novice, and I wanted to ask you a question about your father. Is he still with us? Yes. Do you get along with him? Yes. You do. Okay, then is there somebody related to him? Because I'm feeling a strong pull to your father or somebody related or a close friend that you really have um, beaten heads against? Hmm. Does someone come to mind? No, nothing no off the top of my head. All right, so just know that there's that, that dark figure that is connected to your father, that it could be from a, a past life or somebody that's already passed, and you don't recognize it now. Um, what I'm hearing is it may be somebody that affected you in your childhood and was a negative person and somehow left a, a, a bad image in your mind of this person. So mm. if you think about who it is down the road, please let me know and say that, oh, yeah, you were right. <laughs> I'm sure there is some, I'm sure something exists and is not coming to mind, but thank you for mentioning Yeah, it. you're welcome. So, yeah, like I said, um, I'm hearing like the age of six to seven or something like that. So just okay. keep it in the back of your mind and, um, you know, it ties into the consciousness because um, now you don't know 
right now what it means, but somewhere deep in your consciousness, it's there. So I'd love for you to keep on going and explaining more about how we tap into our consciousness and the upside-down thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, it, it ties in directly. Sometimes there are things that are not within our conscious reach, uh, but the memories and the consciousness still exist. We're just not accessing it at the moment. So um, back to the, the, this question of, of consciousness, and we all have it, and science has no idea how to explain it. And in, in some circles, you'll hear people say, well, consciousness is just an illusion, <laughs> and which I think is very difficult to, to reason given the fact that we all experience it, and anything that is in this objective physical world is experienced through a consciousness. Consciousness is the only thing that we actually know for sure is, is existing. Anything that is in the material world is just a perception, actually. So here we are. We, have this, we all have this consciousness. We see things around us. We hear things around us, but they're all experienced within our consciousness, and we, we can't even explain it. Still in 2018. That's the, the very question that I explore in the book. And, and as I mentioned, what I, 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 I suggest is a reversal of the paradigm, which is to say that the brain is not producing consciousness, but we should think of the brain as almost being like an antenna receiver. Mm. Or another analogy is to say that consciousness is kind of existing independently and the brain actually filters or limits our perception. Yes, that does make sense. Wow. Yeah, it was never something I had thought of because there is this prevailing assumption that we are conscious because of our brain. But there, this is right. alternative that at least just conceptually, without even thinking about the science, it would make sense because the brain is, is certainly, like if you affect the brain in a certain way, the person's consciousness will change. If, the, if let's say you go into a lab and you stimulate a person's visual cortex with an electrode, that person might have a change in their vision. So we can say, uh-huh. look, oh, we changed the brain, we changed the consciousness. However, the big issue is it's not sufficient to say that because the brain has a relationship with our consciousness, that the brain must be producing it. In in statistics, people say correlation does not imply causation. That's a fancy way of saying it. A simple example is is, um, if you imagine a fire and you have firefighters that show up at the scene to put it out, you have a larger fire, more firefighters are showing up. So here, again, we have a strong correlation between the size of the fire and the presence and the number of firefighters that are showing up. Uh-huh. Strong correlation, but it's not a causal relationship. The firefighters are not causing the fire. Right. Right, so it just makes the point that you can have two things that are strongly, strongly connected, but they're not always causing the other. And here we can explain this correlation of brain activity, conscious states. We can explain that by viewing the brain differently, by saying, let's use the antenna analogy, because I think it's uh-huh. something that we can all relate to. Imagine like you're watching television, and you have a, you're watching a TV show, and it's coming up on your screen fine. The reason that it comes up on your screen is that your TV is picking up a signal with an antenna. The TV is not producing the signal. The TV is just showing you the output. What happens uh-huh. if the antenna, someone breaks it with a hammer, and then all of a sudden your TV is fuzzy, you're not watching, the show comes up fuzzy, you don't get to see it as well. Well, the signal itself is, is still preserved, the signal hasn't been affected, but the antenna, the processor of the signal, is, has been affected. So that's sort of like someone has a brain injury and then they have memory loss or something. Right. Right, so it's their processor of consciousness that's been affected, but not the consciousness itself. Right, okay. Yeah, so that, that, what I just described to you is the basic premise of, well, just conceptually, we haven't even talked about science. We just addressed that there is this big open question. Conceptually, there's this alternative possibility. And then most of the work that I've done personally and have described in my book point towards phenomena that suggest that the brain is not the producer of consciousness, which has huge implications. So things like psychic abilities, all of a sudden they become what you would predict to be accurate. It would be possible that someone could, could basically pick something up with their brain. Like I um, did and, and I continue to do. Exa- yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and like you say, we all have the abilities, and that's what many of the studies I discuss show. Sometimes they're just very subtle, and they are 
they require statistics to show that we're getting information beyond what random chance would predict, but they're subtle, so they, but they do exist. Some people have strong abilities where you can really see it, and they're like superstars at it. And some people do it professionally. The U.S. government actually had a 20-year program where they used psychic spies called remote viewing, the ability to see something, the clairvoyance, without actually being there physically. And the U.S. government had 20-plus had years of doing this, and I talk about the evidence for that. So psychic abilities all of a sudden, yeah, wow is right. It blew me away. Yeah. But but it's all of a sudden it, it becomes not totally paranormal that that could exist if we recontextualize the brain. All of a sudden, wait, yeah, if the brain is just picking up the signal or if it's just somehow unlocking the filter, then, yeah, maybe it could pick something up. And that's what, you know, that's, that there's tons of evidence for psychic phenomena like that. And that's one big category that I discussed. The mm. other big category is surviving bodily death. So if the brain is not the producer of our consciousness, then it's not to, it, then our consciousness isn't dependent on a functioning brain. And there's lots of evidence that I discuss on near-death experiences, on mediumship, communicating with the deceased, and children who have memories of a, a previous life, which all of which suggest that the consciousness of a living person isn't tied to their physical body. And that was going to be my next question is about past lives because um, sometimes when I do my readings, I feel a strong pull that it, whatever the message I'm giving is not really about what this person is experiencing now, but two or three lifetimes ago. And, you know, it sometimes sparks an interest in the person and they'll, they'll start thinking about it. And... I feel it's all tied to the consciousness because each of our lives contributes a little bit more. And what I tell a lot of people, like many years ago I told my husband that, oh, I know we're going to have a lot of tsunamis and hurricanes and, and tornadoes and, you know, in the upcoming years. And he says, you're crazy. I said, I just know it. He says, how? I said, I don't know. I'm just being told that that's what's going to happen. And look at the world now, all of these happenings. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that it was because of a past life experience that gave me the knowledge to know what was coming. Is that mm. tied in to how you explain things? Yeah, it is. And I would tie it in, in two ways. One is, in addition, for, sorry, the, the paradigm, the upside-down thinking, the view that matter, the brain, creates consciousness. No, it's the other way around. Consciousness is fundamental to matter. So that perspective also says that consciousness exists beyond all space and time. So not only is consciousness more fundamental than matter, not produced by the brain, but it exists beyond space and time. And therefore, consciousness can have access to things that are non-local, both physically and temporally, like in terms of time. So that's how things like what you just described, that could be part of it potentially. And I discuss things like just remote viewing and also precognition, which is knowing the future before it happens. Uh-huh. The, the other area which you discussed in past lives, I think the strongest evidence comes from the University of Virginia. They've studied for the last 50 plus years over 2,500 cases of children who are usually just between the ages of two and five years old, so very, very young children who have distinct memories of another person's life. And usually they can describe in detail how the person died. In some cases, the researchers are able to find the exact person that the child is describing, and it's a very specific person, and it's, it's, you know, medical records verify how the person died. It's hard to reason that the child that it could have been fabricated because the little kid is just coming up with things that they shouldn't know. In, in, in some cases, the children actually have physical deformities that are aligned with the way in which they describe dying. So it's like they have a, there's one girl that I show in the book whose leg is, has indentations as if it were constricted by a piece of rope. She wow. talks about, and if, yeah, like that's the natural shape. There's no rope to force it to be like that. It's naturally indented. It's, it's oh not God. a normal-looking leg. Yeah. It's, it's a very crazy thing. Yeah. And, and, 
And what's even crazier is that she described dying in a previous life where she was tied up in ropes and was even said, Grandpa, look at what they did to me, how cruel they were, at point looking at her leg. So right. this is a, a girl that had memories of what happened during the previous life. Her physical body is manifesting some of that information somehow from one life to the next. So there are, it seems as though there are memories, sometimes even personality traits, sometimes physical traits that are being transferred, I guess, in terms of consciousness from one version of that person's consciousness and another body into this current one, which, right. going back to your original question, are there abilities or memories or inclinations that you or, or any person might have that's not just from this individual experience of life, from a past life maybe, it's definitely possible. Okay. That's interesting. Um, another version that I've heard uh, several times is if we died from a particular, <clears throat> excuse me, a particular thing, like I feel either I drowned or I was bitten by a snake or maybe both, um, at a certain time in my life I became afraid of the water and I was told that it was because of a past life experience. And then being afraid of snakes, I mean, that is such a big fear for me. And for the longest time when I would go into bed, I couldn't fall asleep because I felt like there were snakes crawling on my feet. So I feel mm. that I may have died from drowning in one life and another life maybe from a snake, and they appeared at the age I was in each of those lives. Have you learned something like that? I have heard of stories of, of fears that are transferred from one life to the next, and drowning is one that has come up before, so I've heard of that. There, there's also another phenomenon that could explain things. It's, it's known in contemporary biology as epigenetics, where things that happen to genetic ancestors can be transferred down through the genes, including fears and traumas. Wow. That's amazing. Amazing. That's right. Yes. I know they say genetics play a lot into our lives, but I've always thought of it as our physical body. I never thought of it as the mind and the consciousness. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. Um, the, the idea is that there are things that we are that are happening in our in our own lives that are, are a result of not just the physical environment that we're in. Maybe that's the overarching way to say it. And that kind of, that goes very much against what conventional medicine or other disciplines would say, which is that like the things that you're experiencing or the things that shape you are a direct result of your genetics and the environment that you're in. And that's it. And here we are talking about a concept where there's something that seems to be beyond genetics and beyond environment that can affect a person's memories and personality and sometimes even their physical body. And that seems to be related to consciousness. So the researchers at the University of Virginia, they say it's a third factor. It's not genetics and it's not environment. I mean, think about what a big deal that is. If there's an entire category of, of, of things that affect us that we're not accounting for in science or medicine. Yes, which is really amazing because there's so many people now that I'm calling us light workers and, you know, all the psychics that are all of a sudden coming out. And, like, I was told just last year by my cousins who I hadn't seen for a long time, they said, oh, but growing up you always knew things, but I don't remember that. So, um, you know, basically, it's where did, I, where did I come to this knowing, and I lost my thought about what I was going to ask you. Oh, so because there's so many of us that are learning our abilities, that why isn't it more looked into in science in a general um, perspective of, oh, why is this happening? And, you know, nowadays all the abilities that, excuse me, that people have, 
you would think that more than one university and the government that they would look into it a lot further. So have you learned why they don't investigate? Mm -hmm. it, you, you raise a really important point, and it's one that I spend a lot of time on in the book. It's one of the reasons that I felt compelled to write the book, which is that there is lots of emerging evidence in addition to many, many people who have personal experiences. But there's a lot of good research that's been done, and yet, like you say, it's not mainstream. It's not something that everyone's taught about. I, wasn't, I didn't learn about this in school. I didn't learn uh -huh. about it in the business world. No one talked about these things. And I think it's because with any new idea, and I see this in my business life too, we deal with innovations. Anytime you come up with a new technology, you're, you're sort of displacing or supplanting an old one. You're coming up with an improvement upon an old one. That means that someone else who lives by the old standard is being supplanted or told that they are not up to date. That's effectively what happens. So I think there is inevitably a resistance to those who are entrenched in a certain way of thinking. And that's what I think is the underlying issue that I see, especially in academic institutions. It's one of the dynamics that I thought was really important to talk about in the book, which is that if you even want to talk about these topics at an academic institution, what I'm told is that you need to wait until you get tenure because it's way too risky to even talk about it. Mm. That was Wayne Dyer. You know who Wayne Dyer was? Yes, yes. So that's exactly what he used to say, um, because everything that he spoke about, he just knew. And Brian Weiss also, because he was also um, a psychologist and, and whatever, and he worked with past lives. And he said that he was afraid to speak up and, and talk about what he was learning, because it just wasn't anything that people would believe. And I don't remember the years. Um, Wayne Dyer was the 70s. Brian Weiss, I'm not sure when. But it's amazing that um, the world still looks at it this way. Yes. It really is amazing. And maybe part of it is, is an uh, egotism, which is that people want to feel like they're right. And if someone comes along with an idea that challenges their whole uh -huh. career, that can be that's the threat. So I think there's a natural aversion from, from people who have been entrenched in a certain way of thinking. Um, it also implies that we, that we really don't know as much as we think we do, that there, there's non-physical stuff happening. That is it's hard to accept, and I know for me it was hard to accept. I really had to say, wait a second, I didn't know that much before, but now I really don't. I, I recognize how little I actually know, and, and I still feel that way. I think that even though I've explored these topics, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's, it, it, but it all comes back to this question of, of the brain and consciousness to me, and that's why I focused on it throughout the book. And it's, it's for the reason partially that you mentioned, which is, well, how do we, how do we get people to start looking at this? I think mm -hmm. another reason that people don't look at it is that they have no uh, mechanism by which these things could even be possible, and it's because they typically have this belief that consciousness is a product of the brain. So that's why I wrote a whole book on questioning that core assumption. Because if we can question the assumption, which, like I said, it's like the big open secret in science. We have no idea how we're conscious, how a brain could make it happen. If we really inspect that assumption that people are taking for granted, then all of a sudden, if we view consciousness differently, we can account for the possibility of these phenomena. Mm. This is all just so amazing because, um, you know, like I said earlier, that I question how do I know things? And part of it, like I said, I believe is from a past life and that I'm just getting um, stronger in my abilities every day and every week. But I never separated it thinking about science, body, brain, consciousness, I think it's just kind of ingrained in me. So where I guess scientists are looked at as nerds, right? And they're, they're not looked at as thinking outside of the box where, like you said, they don't understand it, so why should they look into it? Mm -hmm. But isn't, isn't right. that what science is about? You got it. It's very <laughs> ironic to me as I've gotten into this. It's ironic because it's almost turned into a form of, of dogmatism, which is to say that 
we are scientific, but only within these bounds. And if it doesn't fit these four corners, then we're not going to look. We're not going to look at it. And that is mm-hmm. maybe unnecessarily excluding things. And you know what? Um, a pop, something just popped in my mind where you were saying that they they don't teach this in academic or anything like that. But could you imagine if they had some sort of a, a mini class in every grade? to let the children be able to speak and say, oh, I saw this happening, but I, you know, and learn that it is reality. Am I saying yeah. it right? I, I hope we're headed in that direction. And it's, again, why I felt so compelled to write this book. Because if, if the ideas become mainstream and we, we accept the reality that we're in, then what you just described should absolutely be in some way part of education, which is the, the acknowledgement of the reality that we're in. We're in the reality of consciousness, and then that has a whole host of implications for how we treat people and probably how we even live and coexist. Hmm. Yes. Um, you know, like I said earlier, that my cousins told me, oh, but you always knew things, and I don't remember that. It was probably squashed when I was younger because people didn't understand it, and um, they didn't want me to keep experiencing what I was. So I would love to be able to remember that, but I don't. I just know that it's in me and that God chose me to be able to experience things, to be able to share with the world and help people along because of my abilities. But I can, like my grandson, he he had a few things happen to him um, when he was like, maybe four years old, and he saw a man in a rocking chair in their house, and he said that his heart hurt him. And they found out that a man that lived in that house died from a heart attack. So Hmm. my daughter squashed it, and I said to her, you shouldn't squash it. Let him talk about it and let him experience it. But it scares them, so they squashed it, and now he's scared because she she told them that it was, you know, whatever. So if more parents would recognize that this is a real thing and it's not a make-believe friend or anything like that and encourage their children, then those children will be the ones that will say, okay, it's time for science to start looking into this. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But it has mm-hmm. to start somewhere. And I think we're at the point where we have enough credible science in addition to enough credible personal accounts where I don't think it can be overlooked anymore. And that is hence the title of, of my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. Mm. Now, I have a list of questions from you. And before we are totally out of time, I wanted to ask a couple. So a big one is what are the implications for world peace? What do you see from consciousness? I think this is the, the biggest implication of, of the research that I'm doing, which gets to the idea that we are not separate. So under the conventional view that each of us is an individual body and we have an individual mind and consciousness, that fosters a sense of separation beyond the fact that we have similar genetics because we're the same species and we inhabit the same planet. The extent of our interconnectedness really ends there. But the the view that I think makes the most sense and what the research points towards is the notion that we're actually all part of the same consciousness, just experiencing reality through different physical forms. And and that's what is able to account for a number of things that I talk about in the book. So we're, we're then connected at the level of consciousness, even though we have these individual experiences. There's an analogy from Dr. Bernardo Castro, a philosopher who who also subscribes to this idea, who says to, to imagine that reality is like a stream of water where water represents consciousness and each of us is like a whirlpool within that stream. So we have delineated boundaries, but we're just made of water, i.e. consciousness. We're part of the same stream, even though we have localized experiences. That's the way I, I like to think about it. And, and many scientists who have really dug into this, like the famous physicist Erwin Schrodinger, he said, in truth, there is only one mind. That's 
that's where I'm headed towards as well. So if it's really true that we are the same consciousness having individual experiences where we seem separate, but we're not actually separate, then what does that imply about how we treat one another? It, it all of a sudden right. becomes irrational to do intentional harm to other people because it's like, well, why would you harm yourself if that's just really uh -huh. you in another form, the same right. consciousness having a different experience? Yes. And if you really think about it, if you go back to the Bible days, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all one, and we're all a part of God, that it's, it was told in the Bible, and it was told many, many years ago, but it's like it's come full circle now to the reality of it's true. And if you put it in simple terms like that, I think people will give it a little bit more thought and say, oh, my goodness. I never thought of it that way. It's been there all along. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And it's been there, what I found, in, in basically every tradition, every ancient tradition, in particular the mystical uh, areas within, within different traditions, have said the same thing, which is that everything is consciousness and we're all connected as part of the same consciousness. Right. It's, it's really amazing. So how has this changed your life, Mark? massively in, in every way because I, I think about life and my own existence and meaning very differently than I used to. I used to think that the life didn't matter at all and we were just kind of a random speck in the universe that emerged after lots of chemical reactions and, and, and that was it. And then when you die, it's over. Now it seems that that's not correct. So viewing myself as, as not being limited to the body, that has a huge impact on how I just think about everything. And then this interconnectedness piece has, has an impact on how I look at world affairs and, and the planet and how other people are being treated. I, I just think about it much differently. Yes. And you would think that people would have learned before this um, big political party problems that everybody's fighting with each other and, oh, I can't live next door to you because you're not the same political party as me. That's horrible. And we've got to look at it exactly like you're saying. We're one consciousness and we need to love each other. So, you know, in the Bible, again, and I'm not talking, I'm not a person that's, that read the Bible or anything, but these are kind of common sense things. And it says, love thy neighbor. And that's what it's about. We need to love each other and be there for each other. So I wish that message would really get out to the world. And, you know, this podcast is listened to throughout the world, so I hope everyone listening that you do pay attention to everything that Mark had to say and think about what I'm saying is that we are all one and we're there to help each other. So let's make world peace and love each other. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Yes, yes. So really fast, what are your interests, interests outside of this? Do you have any hobbies or anything? I used to be a competitive tennis player, and that was a huge part of my life. I, I would say my hobby has been researching this topic. This, this is my favorite thing to do now other than my, my daily profession, which is to, okay. to learn more about these ideas, refine how I think about life, and I enjoy uh, doing interviews like this and also public speaking. Mm. So do you play tennis at all now? I live in San Francisco, so the, and the weather is better than it, it was on the East Coast when I lived there, and it's a lot easier to play. So every now and then, I play, not nearly as much as I used to. Okay. I'm hearing it's time that you go out and start playing a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, even on the tennis court, you can spread your message there, too, you know? <laughs> That's right. Good yeah. point. Yeah. You know, that's what I've learned, that, you know, um, I don't hold back about my mental illness and my suicide attempt because God made it happen to me to let others know about it, that you can overcome. And like I said earlier, you know, just talking to you uplifted my spirit, so thank you. And uh, there's, there's um, steps that you can take if you're not feeling well, to feel better. So let's say that I play tennis and I'm playing with somebody and they start talking about something negative. I'll say, yeah, but look at what I've been through and you can do the same thing. There's so many options out there. So mm -hmm. no matter what you do, 
work-wise or privately, I feel it's very strong that we do speak up and share with other people because that might spark in the other person something that they never thought about. Do you agree I think with you're that? Right. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. You just never know. Yep, yep. So two more questions. Um, first, uh, please share your website so that everybody can listen to the other podcasts and learn more about you. My website is my name, Mark Gober, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com, and I have more of my uh, interviews and some articles I've written posted on my media page. So you can find that at markgober.com, and if you go to the media tab, there's more information there. And it has information on my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other bookstores. That's great. Yes, I did look at your website already, and I will listen to some more of the interviews because this is really very interesting to me where I just took it for granted. Where I don't know how I know it, but I know it, but you've, you've given me more to think about, and I hope that everybody else starts thinking about it the same way. So what is the most important thing that you will want our listeners to take away from our conversation? For me, this was not an overnight transition. As I said, I initially heard podcasts and I started researching, and it was kind of a stop and start process where I would learn about something and get really interested and say, wow, maybe this is the reality we're in. And then I would get sucked back into my day-to-day -day and kind of forget about it. And it took me a really long time to get to the point now where I've re I think I've internalized and I'm continuing to internalize the concepts that we talked about. So for your listeners who might be hearing about some of these for the first time, it's it's, it, it's not an overnight process, and it might just spark interest in ways that you, in, in paths that you can't necessarily anticipate. So for me, and this is again why I wrote the book and why I'm speaking about it, it's the initial exposure to the topic that can be really transformative because all of a sudden it creates this new realm of possibilities to explain things that you see in the world, even if you don't buy into it. It's, well, there's this everyday life that we see with our eyes and what we've been taught in conventional education. That's one explanation. And then there's this other explanation that Mark and other people are talking about. And it's just having that consideration to say, well, what would, the, what would this other perspective say about this phenomenon? That can really open someone's mind to even consider the possibility. Mm. That's very strong. Yes. So thank you, Mark, for sharing with us today. And I really enjoyed this. Like I said, I, um, I've given thought to some things that I've never given thought. I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast, and I'd love to welcome you back again in about six months to continue the conversation. Thank you so much. I would love that, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear you're feeling a little better. Thank you. Like I said, there's certain things that people have to recognize if they're struggling take the steps to make the changes. And holding a conversation with a person about that's an uplifting person is one of those things. So thank you, Mark, for helping me feel better. I'm so glad. My pleasure. Thank you. So everyone listening, thank you so much for your time and listening to everything that Mark had to share. And please remember to subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any important information shared by my guests. And that's The Celestial Spoon, Nourish Your Soul with Catherine M. Laub. And also, please share these shows with your friends so they can gain value from my guests. If you would like to speak, have me speak at your event, please contact me at Catherine at CatherineMLaub.com, and that's C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-M-L-A-U-B.com. And my website is TheCelestialSpoon.com, T H E C E L. E-S-T-I-A-L-S-P-O-O-N.com. And you can download a free report on overcoming stress along with purchasing a psychic reading or mentoring with me. And if you email me and mention that you heard me on my podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on any of my services or programs. We can talk on the phone through Skype, email, or in person if you're close to central Suffolk County, New York. Again, you can find Mark at www.markgober.com. 
This is Catherine Lab. Have a wonderfully blessed day. Thank you for listening to our conversation. We hope that you found the discussion to be rewarding and inspirational, and you take action to create a healthier and happier personal environment for yourself and those you interact with. If you like this episode of The Celestial Spoon, please listen again next time to learn more about how spirituality has guided others to advance their lives. We wish you the best on your personal journey.